I was one of the twelve apostles. I was one of the twelve apostles. I followed Jesus for three years. I followed Jesus for three years. I saw Jesus perform many miracles. I saw Jesus perform many miracles. I saw him forgive people that I could never forgive. I saw him forgive people that I could never forgive. I didn't understand what he meant when he said that he was going to die for all mankind. I didn't understand what he meant when he said he was going to die for all mankind. I betrayed him. I denied him. I watched him take Jesus away. I watched them take Jesus away. I regretted what I had done. I regretted what I had done. I killed myself. I thought about it. Of course I thought about it. I but I couldn't do it. I don't I just I, I just couldn't do anything crazy or rash. Me, crazy or rash, right? I couldn't do it. it. Had to be the Holy Spirit. I knew that I had to hold on even just for a little longer. I knew he said he was going to come back. I just I had to hang on. And then it happened. We were hiding. I was hiding. Of course I was hiding. We thought we were going to die. I thought I was going to die. And then Mary burst in the room. She's screaming and yelling about the tomb being empty. I didn't believe her. So I went and looked myself. And it was empty. And it didn't make sense. I couldn't understand where where the body was. Why was it empty? And then... Jesus came. He came to me. He showed me. And I was able to understand. Do you remember? I said, Jesus forgave people I would never forgive. I wouldn't forgive myself for what I did. But he forgave me. He taught me to forgive myself. If only Judas would have held on a little longer. Jesus would have forgave him. And he wants to forgive you too. Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name is Tim, and it's good to have you with us this morning. We've uh, got a lot of stuff to cover today. I wanted to remind you, if you're a guest here, if it's your first time here, or if you've been coming some, uh, and you've got questions about our church, what we're about, uh, just ask somebody around here because we all used to be a guest at one time. You remember those days? And I, they'll do their best to try to answer uh, any of those questions you might have. If you're wanting to talk to someone else, you say, well, I don't know anybody in particular. We have a communication card with every bulletin. And you can simply write, hey, I'd like to talk to Tim or to Alan or to Gary or, or maybe someone here uh, about a little bit more about this church. And what we believe. Again, it's good to be together. Got a couple of other things to remind you about. We do have a camp coming up for senior week. That's coming up this month in just a couple of weeks. And so if you'd like to help sponsor a teenager, that would be wonderful. Just let us know in a communication card or you can talk to someone at the Welcome Center after church. Uh, also, uh, there's VBS is coming and we're doing a thing called Monumental. And we hope that if you're interested in helping decorate or help with uh, building things or, you know, maybe you want to come and just help serve a little food to some kids. We would love to have you uh, help us with that. And that'll be coming up. There'll be more information about that. We've spent several weeks talking about the 12. We've been looking at them. I hope you've benefited from it. I know I sure have benefited from looking at these 12, the 12 disciples, the very first followers of Jesus. That's what we're learning from them is how to follow, to be better followers. I mentioned a few weeks ago, how unique the Bible is, because the Bible will not, it isn't like all the other religious books that are available today, 
the Bible doesn't try to elevate its heroes and show them as these incredible people and, and leave it at that and they, they or, or and sweep their flaws or their weaknesses under the rug. The Bible doesn't do that. It tells it like it is. It keeps it real. That's one of the things I appreciate this, about the scriptures, and I believe it makes it more credible because it just lets it all out. Uh, it gives us the naked truth, so to speak. And one of the things that uh, about uh, the 12 is we see a lot of reality. We see the weaknesses of the 12. We see the strengths of the 12. We see some of the vices and some of the questions many of them you and I face. And so like Jesus, when he talked about the wheat and the weeds growing together, his group was no exception. He had a tear or a weed in his group of 12, and his name was Judas. Look at this up here on the screen. There's a couple of passages I'd like you to see in John 6. It says here, Simon Peter answered, where do we else do we go? You know, what's going on is Jesus is saying, you know, uh, you guys going to leave too? Everybody's leaving uh, his group so to speak. And so he asked him, are you guys going to leave? And Peter says, well, no, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe we and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus answered, I chose all of you, all 12 of you, but one of you is the devil. And look at this next verse, what it says. Who was he talking about? He was talking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Judas was one of the twelve apostles, but later he would hand Jesus over to his enemies. We find that uh, that does happen. Judas, who's always behind the scenes, and at dark he's talking to the critics of Christ and plans his betrayal, all of a sudden is up right up front and, and, and leads a group of uh, soldiers to Gethsemane, where Jesus and, and some of the disciples are. And in John 18, John records this as an eyewitness. It says, Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? And they say, well, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And Jesus said, I am he, Jesus said. And look what John puts down. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. You, You could say Judas is the Benedict Arnold of the twelve. And we see this as a, uh, an example. Judas is an example of a, the tragedy and, and the tragic example of spiritual treachery. I mean, he goes down in flames. He is so caught up and so, so feels such remorse that he throws the money in the temple and runs off by himself and hangs himself. And according to the book of Acts, he doesn't even do a very good job of that. It's almost like he throws his body off and the rope breaks or something. And it, his guts, his internal, his entrails, whatever you want to say, are spread all over the ground. It's just a tragic end to a disciple. I mean, how does something like this happen? When you stop and think about it. What would cause someone who who listened to Jesus, who heard his call, leave his wherever he was, whatever he was doing, to drop it, and to be a disciple that would follow and trust Jesus, would listen to Jesus, and would witness with his own eyes the power of God, would see the power over sickness, walking on water, over storms, resurrecting the dead, and seeing all this love and all this power, why in the world would he all of a sudden betray Christ? You know, it doesn't take much to when you think about this, because we see it all the time. If you've been a Christian long enough, you see people leave Christ. They leave churches. They leave churches. They leave groups. They get out, get out of the habit. And the thing is about these 12 is we can understand Judas and Peter and the others because we all share the same weaknesses, the same tendencies, the same ideas, the same doubts as they did. And yet we're chosen just like them. That Jesus would choose you and I and say, I want you to be close to me. I want you to experience my love. I want you to see the power that can be in your life. I want you to see everything. I want you to hear everything. And it's interesting to me that this thing with Judas is not swept under the rug. Why is it there? Why is it recorded in all the Gospels? 
Why is it even in the book of Acts referred to? Why is it, why do they go back and say, you know, this happened to Judas and we have to, we have to select another person to replace him? It must be in there for our benefit. It must be in there so that you and I can learn something from this traitor. Here we are at, you know, Independence Weekend. I thought it's ironic that we're talking about treason. Huh? And Judas is, is, he's the traitor of Christ. A lot of scholars, a lot of scholars have tried to figure this out. And maybe you've tried to figure it out as well. Why would Judas do this? I mean, he had it made. He had it made. And he threw it all away. And scholars over the years and over the centuries have tried to figure this out and pinpoint what happened to Judas. And what I want to do is I want to offer you four triggers that I believe can lead to a spiritual treason in our life. And they're, and they're very common in every believer. Number one, disappointment. Disappointment. You ever been disappointed in someone? All the time. People will disappoint you. Jesus will disappoint you. And that's exactly where I believe treason starts, betrayal starts. It starts when Jesus disappoints me. Benedict Arnold is probably known as the, the, the traitor of all. He's, he's the guy. If you want to know, if you say, here's all kinds of examples of people that have committed treason against the United States, but Benedict Arnold was the first traitor. And when you, if anybody ever calls you Benedict Arnold, it is an insult. They're saying you're a traitor to this country. But yet Benedict Arnold was a major figure and had a major impact on the Revolutionary War. Several of his commands and battles actually prevented some things from happening. He was instrumental in keeping the British from invading from Canada into the United States. But one of the things that I found striking about it is his treason began when he was passed over for promotion. Four guys, four younger fellas got to be promoted and Benedict Arnold had to, was stayed in where he was. And yet he was a brilliant tactician. In fact, he was so upset by it that he decides he's going to resign. And so he he relinquishes. He says, I'm resigning from my commission. And it takes George Washington to come to him and plead with him. Please reconsider. We need you desperately. And out of Washington's plea, Benedict Arnold would say, OK, I'll give it one more shot. Some of the things Benedict Arnold, some of his quotes are something. He says, you know, you you guys, I have I have uh, soldiers that are not that excited or enthused about fighting. And the and the and the sailors you give me, I don't think I've ever been wet by seawater in their entire life. He talked about the incompetence of our forces and it was driving him nuts. Uh, One play captured it this way when he was doing a play on Benedict Arnold. When I asked for. A, a, a vessel for a ship, you send me a raft. When I ask for, for I ask for coats, you know, and, 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 and trousers, you give me vests. He was so discouraged and so disappointed in his government. Then finally what broke the camel's back was, but besides being, the, the soldiers being a mess and, and incompetent, he was in a major battle with General Gates, who was his commanding officer, And after this battle, Gates takes the credit that Benedict Arnold was actually the player that made the difference. And Gates takes the credit. And that was it. Did you know that Benedict Arnold, one of the things he was trying to do, and they they caught him, they caught a dispatcher, uh, a guy carrying the information. They caught him and on it was a was some information that Benedict Arnold was plotting to turn over an American fort to the British. It was West Point. They hang that guy. They're looking for Benedict Arnold. He hides in a boat, finally gets on a British ship, and he gets out of, gets out of dodge, so to speak. The British give him a command, and he begins to fight the very country he's wearing, instead of blue, he's wearing red. It's easy, folks, to consider 
betrayal when you're disappointed. How many times have you been disappointed at the store? I'll never come back here again. I went to McDonald's and got a sack full of incompetence. I'm sorry, a, a, a hamburger and a, and a pie the other day, and I swore I'd never go back. Disappointed. I said, strawberry and cream, you gave me apple. I asked for hot coffee, it's lukewarm. We do this all the time when we're disappointed in, in stores, in sports teams. You still rooting for the same team you had when you was a kid? Any Cleveland fans in here? Yeah, I know. We get disappointed. And it, and it, and we're at risk of treason, turning against Jesus when He disappoints us. Not if, it's when. Because He will. He will. See, Judas sees the power of Jesus. He sees the power of God. He sees him all this stuff he does, all this power over everything. And Judas, all of his life, has known nothing but Roman power over him. And when he sees Jesus Christ, he gets excited. He's thinking, finally, something that can rival the power of Rome. And he, like the other eleven, are thinking, the Messiah has come to deliver us from Rome with the almighty power of God. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. Instead of using this power against Rome, he's, he surrenders it. Are you crazy? No, I'm the Christ. And I'm surrendering this power. Because Judas it's, and, and the rest of you, it's not about power over a government. It's about power over sin. And I'm going to have to surrender and die for everybody to make that so. And so this power over Rome, Judas is getting disappointed because he knows not only will Rome still be in power over him, but he also realizes, well, I guess this new kingdom and this position I'm expecting isn't going to pan out either. And then one day something occurs and it makes it just makes him snap. A woman takes a jar of perfume. It's very expensive stuff. Very expensive stuff. It takes a year to earn enough money to buy this, this fragrance. And she breaks it open and puts it on Jesus. And just imagine, you know, I don't know about you, but I grew up on a pig farm. I, my, I smelled like a pig farm everywhere I went. I didn't know it. Everybody else did. Man, when you'd walk in to our house, somebody else walking in our house, they go... What is that? What? I don't smell anything. I would go to other people's houses. I'd go to Denise's house. It smelled so good. Why? They didn't raise pigs. They raised cows. Different smell. My dad would say, smell it, kids. And I go, I'm smelling pig. And he goes, that's money. That's money. Well, just imagine, here's, here's this woman and, and, and she pours this on Jesus. And Judas is looking at this and going, what are you doing? Because he starts, he starts having a problem with it. Look at the Bible says here in John 12. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who had later, was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. There you go. Leave it to church members. They're always wondering where the money's going. Amen. And Judas is very unsettled. He's very disappointed in what's going on here. And because and think about this, this wonderful, sweet, beautiful moment that Jesus, according to this Mary, is wanting to anoint him for burial. She understands what he's here for. Judas is like shaking his head. And what comes out? This critical spirit. He's, man, this could have been, this could have been given to the poor. You've wasted all this money. Now we know that's not really what his motive was, right? He wanted it for himself. Because he used to skim off the top of this, off the, off the money, the treasury. But I just noticed that because he's so disappointed, This critical nature starts popping out. You know anybody like this? 
when they get disappointed, they start getting their red pen out and checking stuff off. They always can find what's wrong. They always know something's not right, doesn't measure up. Judas is critical because he's so disappointed. Jesus will disappoint you. And you know why? You know why he disappoints me? Because I'm on a different page. I'm on a different page than him. I was praying about this on the way to church this morning. Oh, Lord, I have the things, the thoughts and the things of men in my mind, in my heart, and not enough of your things. And because of that, I have this expectation. I remember years ago, listening to a fellow, he became a Christian. And he said, you know, Tim, I don't understand. Ever since I got baptized, it's gotten worse, not better. You know, it got kind of rough on Jesus after his baptism, right? He got tempted for 40 days. He said, I expect everything to go up and to the right. My marriage to get better, my kids to get better, my finances to get better. And none of that took place. He's no longer here. I've been faithful. I've been following for years. I've had those kind of conversations with the Lord. Have you? Lord, I've been faithful to you. I've been following you. I think I deserve something here. And yet Jesus doesn't deliver. He disappoints us. You see, it's and it's these emotions that set me up for bitterness and betrayal. And church, listen, whenever you're disappointed... That's in a person or disappointed in Jesus, you need to be careful. Look at the Bible says here. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. That's the first trigger is this disappointment. Here's a second one. Distance. Distance. You see this in Judas. This disconnection that starts to take place. You know, when you look at Bible lists, you, 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 there's a reason they list them in the order they do. Like you've got the twelve sons of Jacob from the oldest down to the youngest. So you get that you get that idea. You know, there's the Ten Commandments, and you've got these the, the Big Ten we call them. And then you get to the to this list of the disciples, and it's just to me, I it's it's always starts the same way. Peter, James, and John, and then you got that fourth wheel, Andrew. And then it kind of gets a little mixed up here and there. But at the end of every list, you know whose name it is? You guessed it. Judas. Look what it says. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I didn't know this, but Judas is the only non-Galilean in the group. He's the only guy that's not from the Midwest. Not from around these parts. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here? How many of you moved here from somewhere else? Now yeah, look at that. How many of you grew up here? Ah. So you know everything. Well, you do. You know more about what this town than I do. I remember moving here. You know, when I moved here way back in 85, I remember stopping at a stop sign and waving. And people honking, get to moving. Well, I, I didn't, I, I, it was, a, everybody talks so fast here. Real fast. I had to learn. And I did. And I just noticed there's this, there's this, there's this, kind of a thing here where you know Judas is the only non-Galilean. He's from the town of Kiroth and which is in Judea, not in Galilee. And so you could say Judas was kind of the odd man out. This is a natural thing here. You could call him the thumb in the body of Christ. That he just didn't fit sometimes. 
And so you could just imagine as they're all talking about, hey, did you did you go down and see that such and such his place? And Jesus goes, who? Such and such. Never heard of him. Oh, man. Or maybe there's an inside joke, some Galilean inside joke. He doesn't get it because he's not from around those parts. So there's this natural distance that's there. You really think that had something to do with with Judas's betrayal? I think so. Look what the Bible says here about distance. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. The Bible warns us about this. And, and see, this is true with Judas. He isolate, he's isolated himself. Some of it's just the natural difference and distance. But I noticed something about him. He's often by himself in the scriptures. And if there's anything that COVID has taught us, it's taught us the danger of social distancing. I know it's about, you know, saving lives. I understand that. But, you know, there's more and more articles coming out about how this social distancing has affected us and infected us with something else. And I want to say to you this morning, if you feel like a thumb, if if you feel like a thumb in your church uh, or the appendix in the body of Christ, you know what I'm saying? If you feel that way, I am so sorry that it's that way for you. But would you let me ask you a question? What can you do about that? What can you do about that? See, Judas did nothing. And church, the rest of us here that are, that are connected, what can we do about that? Even Jesus had some distance in his small group between his fellows. And I'm saying it's not just a church problem, it's a disciple problem. And I would encourage you, if you feel like a thumb, what can you do about that to improve that connection? And as a church, what can you do to improve connection with other believers? Making it easier for them to get closer. That's the second trigger. Here's the third trigger, a divided heart. A divided heart. Benedict Arnold wore two different uniforms. He wore a blue one for a while, then he wore a red one for a while. And those those two uniforms represented his divided heart. Judas was the same way. You say, why is that so important? Why is it so important to, to look at this idea of a divided heart? I think it's important because it's in our hearts where everything takes place. Where following begins and ends is in what I think. What's deep inside me. That throne, if you will. That's why God wants all of our heart. That's why He wants all of your heart. He doesn't want you to hold anything back. He, he wants, He wants all your love and all your trust. And see, it's very difficult to follow with a divided heart. Just like you would not, you would not allow in a marriage your spouse to have a divided heart. God doesn't allow that either. He doesn't want that either. And yet all of us here would probably admit at one time or another as a spouse, oh, we've had some divided heart. Right? Wow. He wants all of it. It's difficult to follow Christ. In fact, you can follow Christ, appear to be, this is Judas now, appear to be following Christ and your heart be somewhere else. Didn't Jesus say that? With their lips, they worship me and praise me, but their hearts are far from me. They're somewhere else. And this is, Judas is an example of a, of a disciple, a follower, who has some unsurrendered territory in his heart. And he's yet to give it to God. 
Now, why is that so important? I believe Satan gets ambitious when I'm ambiguous. He gets aggressive when I'm ambivalent about the Lord. And see, Satan sees an opening in Judas. Look up here up on the screen. By the time the supper, this is at the, this is at the Lord's Supper. Talk about problems at the Lord's Supper or problems with having us eating with Christ. Look at the problems Jesus has got going here. By the time the supper took place, the devil had already put the idea into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Satan is working on Judas's heart. Is he working on all the hearts of the disciples? I believe he is. But it's interesting that John would say, but he was really working on on Judas. And look here in verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, this is after Jesus said, whoever dips with me is going to betray me. And who dipped the bread with Jesus? Everybody. But when Judas did it, look what it says here. It says the devil had already, had already put, oh, I'm sorry, not the idea, it says Satan entered into his heart. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. Everybody dipped into that dish with Jesus. But when Judas did it, there was something different. It was his heart. And because of his divided heart, it just, listen, church, listen, when we have a divided heart, we give vacancy for Satan to work. We're just, we're just asking for him to come in into our lives and work on us. It just creates that. That's why Ephesians 4, it says, do not leave room for the devil. It's this divided heart. Trigger number four, self-centeredness. In other words, selfishness or pride. You know, Judas objects to the way the perfume was was used uh, on Jesus. Should have been given to the poor. And look at his real reason here in John twelve six. He Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas is skimming off the top. See, it's more than money that Judas is what he's about here. He's got a covetous heart. He's got a selfish heart. And he's taking from other people. It's about what he's going to get. It's about what he's going to receive. He's, he's, he's a consumer, not a contributor. Uh, kind of like uh, Ray in uh, Field of Dreams. Remember when he's talking to Shoeless Joe Jackson? And he says, and Shoeless Joe says, Ray... So what are you saying? What's in it for you? Is that what you're saying? What's in it for you? And he goes, no, I'm not saying what's in it for me. I'm just saying what's in it for me. And a lot of people look at churches for what's in it for me. What am I going to get? That's how they gauge churches nowadays. You know what, what most of the time leadership around here is doing? We're preoccupied with what can we give? What can we give? What can we give? Because sometimes we're going, oh, it's about what are they going to get? What are they going to get? When really it ought to be, what can we give them so they can give it? And Judas here, he's just, it's, it, it's all about, it's all about himself. He's not content with what he's receiving from God. He wants more. He wants more. And so he helps himself And takes advantage of the group. Matthew 26 says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. What am I going to get? Judas is asking. He gets about the same amount of money for a slave. See, Jesus is really clear about discipleship. And and discipleship is about a life of denial. 
And church, when following is more about getting and not so much about giving. Man, I set myself up for disappointment. I set myself up to be bitter and bothered. And eventually, treason. Now, I want to say this again before we condemn Judas. You know, Judas is, I know people, some people that feel sorry for Judas. And I, I want to tell you, I've, I feel bad for Judas like I would whenever time I meet someone at Lowe's or Walmart or wherever I am in town and I know this person's not going to church anywhere, they've given up on God completely. It's tragic. But before we uh, condemn Judas, I have to remember, and I hope you'll remember, we all have the same capability. We all can, we, we can find ourselves just like Judas, because all the disciples asked the same question when Jesus said, someone's going to betray me. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? It's a common thing. And the thing is, the way you and I handle and the way they handle their treachery, their treason, is going to make or break them in the long run. And it will make or break you in the long run. You see, in a way, all these guys are guilty of handing Jesus over for something else. And that's what betrayal is. It's handing Jesus over for for more money, more pleasure, more possessions, more popularity. So what do I do? What do I do when I find myself guilty of treason? Peter is guilty of treason. He does one thing. Judas is guilty of treason. He does another. What do I do? What can I learn from Judas here? Well, first, I got just two points. One, I remember everything the Lord says. And that's important. I don't know about you, but sometimes I remember things that Jesus said, and they're either extremely good or extremely bad. I need to remember everything Jesus says. You know, Judas was not only an eyewitness, but like the other 11, he was an ear witness of what Jesus said. And so he heard lots of teaching, lots of good, solid stuff about how to live. He also heard some warnings. Look at this warning here. This is one I think we associate with Judas. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. What do you mean, Jesus? What are you trying to say with this statement? What do you want me to remember? He wants me to remember, folks, that betraying Jesus is very serious business. It's very serious. Kind of like a high voltage sign that says high voltage. It's dangerous. Beware of dog. Anybody ever ignored those signs? I was dumb enough one time. Oh, it can't be that bad. It was bad. And Jesus, what's he saying here? He said, oh, he should, he, Judas should have never been born. He's, he's a goner. He should have never been born. I don't think he's saying that, but he is saying treason is a tragic thing. It's tragic and awful. And it'd be better if you weren't born than to experience that. And look at Matthew 27, how Matthew describes Judas here. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. He was. I, some people believe that Judas may have been trying to push the envelope on Jesus, so he'd he'd use that power, strike some people dead, you know, and take over. But he sees he's condemned, and he's seized with remorse. What's remorse mean? He's very, very sorry. He has all kinds of regrets. And what's he do? And return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And look what he says. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. He is seized with remorse, seized with guilt, seized with, with regret. And what does it lead him to do? It leads him to do something dumb. And that's sometimes what guilt does. Doesn't it lead us to do something else dumb? I did something dumb to get into this. 
I think I'll do something else dumb now. And that's exactly what happens. And see, guilt can either do that. It can either lead you to do something dumb or or it can lead to change. That's what really Jesus wanted and wants when we feel this guilt and this remorse. He wants us to change. Sometimes my failure and sometimes my guilt can muffle. It can muffle my ability to hear everything Jesus says. Now, what do you mean by that, Tim? Well, I don't know. Some of the some of the toughest passages in Scripture are the ones that are t- I find tough on me. I, re- I tend to I can remember those. But Jesus didn't just say tough stuff. When he says, he says, it'd be better for you not to be born. He's talking about, he's, he's talking like, uh, Job did and Jeremiah. Both those guys talked about how they wish they were, hadn't been born because they were going through something tragic, some suffering. So is, so is Jesus saying, Judas, you're beyond hope. It's over. It's a lost cause. He's not saying that. Never did say that. Because if Judas could have remembered everything Jesus said, he would have known. He could have been forgiven. It says, look at what Jesus says here. And Judas heard these words. Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me. I'll never turn away anyone who comes to me. Could Judas have went back to Jesus? Absolutely. He could have done that. He could have done it easily. But his guilt, it overwhelmed him. He'd forgotten forgotten the forgiveness of the Lord. In John 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world. We know that passage. Look what it says in verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You see, Judas could have been forgiven. He could have been forgiven. And by the way, whenever we have these moments where we're we're caught up in betraying Christ, we're not representing Him well in the community. We've done something we're ashamed of. And that guilt and that shame is there to alarm us. I want to encourage you to know that it's also there to drive us to Christ. Look at what John said. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the first thing. I need to remember. I need to remember everything Jesus says about sin, His grace, and His forgiveness. And here's the second thing. I return to the Lord as soon as possible. Another thing I notice is that Judas returns money, but not himself. He returns the money to the people he got it from, and he, he says, I've sinned, I've messed up. And he, 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 take, he get, here's the money back, but he doesn't return to Jesus, and that's the first thing you should do. Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. You think that's still true? It was said about Adam, the first man, and it said about Judas. And see, in Judas, what I notice is he makes this fatal mistake. He seems to be always leaving when you read about him. He's always leaving. He's leaving the group. He's leaving the chief priests. He leaves his place right next to Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but in the, when they're all sitting around having the Lord's Supper and having the Passover meal, they're all leaned against each other. And, and, and Peter's leaned up against Jesus. But Jesus is leaned up against Judas. The heart of Judas. That's why he's able to talk to him. And no one else hears it. And Judas leaves the side of Jesus. At night. And, he, and, and, and what happens? He goes and finds, finds some, some people to help him and they come to this garden. And by the way, he leaves that garden. He leaves the temple. He's always leaving. He gets off by himself way too much. He's missing. And this makes him an easy target. Look at the last reference to Judas in the New Testament here in Acts chapter 1. Look what it says about him. Judas went away to go to his own place. I'm running into people 
I don't know if you are, but I, I've been running to lots of people that used to go to church. And they, and I, I talked to a fellow just this past week, just we're sitting there talking. I go, you ever coming back? He goes, oh, Tim. I'm, and here's what he said. Have you heard this? I've gotten out of the habit. Anybody else heard that? I've just gotten out of the habit. Maybe you've said it. Maybe you've said it to yourself. I've gotten out of the habit. I go, wow. You see, whenever I begin to get out of the habit, I'm getting away from the connection and the support that I have, I just, I have to have to follow Christ. And I'm getting away from the, 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 you know, Bob was reminding me this morning that Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples, and it's after Judas has left, says, you guys need to stick close to one another and help each other and encourage each other. You're going to need each other in the next few days. And when I get out of this habit, oh, I'm not going to group. I'm not concerned if we're meeting. I'm going to be out of town again and again and again and again. You know, by the way, uh, I know that maybe at one time we used to have, we sick the hounds out to find people. The hounds have died. We have, don't have hounds anymore. I've learned that hounding people doesn't work. But can I tell you this? It doesn't keep me, it doesn't stop me from worrying. When I see people here and there missing, missing, Where's Judas? Where's Judas? Probably was a popular question in that group. And I'll tell you what, you can think of a name. Where's, 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 where they go? They've gotten out of the habit. And the thing is, see, we do not, I do not, maybe, maybe it's just me here, but I believe it's all of us here. We do not do well alone. I know there's times that we need to be alone, but there's a lot of people who were alone got in a lot of trouble. If you're alone too much, ask David. And see, Judas, did, he was at a critical point where he needed his spiritual friends around him and he was nowhere to be found. If he had a cell phone, he wouldn't return a text. If he saw them at the local market, He'd dodge them. And just like he doesn't do well alone, you and I don't do well alone either. And I want to say if you've blown it away, blown, blown, blown it lately, or if you've, anytime you feel this distance and this, and, and you go, man, I am, I think I'm done. Understand the first thing you need to do is return as quick as you can to Jesus. Why? Because he will take you back. He will take you back. There's lots of verses that say this. I found one I like here, and it's in Psalms 9, verse 10 in the message. God's a safe house for the battered, a sanctuary during bad times. The moment you arrive, you relax. You're never sorry you knocked. You're never sorry when you come to Jesus. So let me ask you as we close here, is what's the trigger What's been a trigger that you see that causes you to pause and consider treason against the Lord? Have you been handing Jesus over for something else? I just want you to know if you do, you think, I'm going to get more, you're robbing yourself. It is not going to work out like you think. In 1881, in a little room in London, England, a soldier asks for a uniform. He wants to put it on one last time. Benedict Arnold doesn't ask for his British uniform. He asks for his continental uniform, his blue one. And Benedict Arnold said these words just before he died. Let me die in the old uniform in which I fought my battles for freedom. And may God forgive me for putting on another. 
I ask you this morning, are you, do you have another uniform you're wearing? Wear the one. Wear the uniform that you wore when you put on Christ at your baptism. Make sure you have that one on. God bless you this weekend as we, as we celebrate our independence and our freedom, but, but be reminded, be reminded that we need to be loyal to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, just a very provocative disciple named Judas. Man, when I just was studying him, I couldn't help but think about all the moments that I have not done well. And I think about what I considered doing because of it. And oh God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your son Jesus, who was lifted up on the cross, would draw all men, including myself and those of us here today, to you. Father, we pray. I pray for everyone here. We pray for the people that are not here, people that, that have left you, that they can they they can know that you wait for them, that you, like the prodigal, running to the loving Father, the Father runs and, and wants to embrace their son and daughter once again. Lord, help us be a people that when we, we, we sense these triggers that we resist the temptation to be critical and distant. Help us understand when you disappoint us that it's your will, not ours, be done. And help us as church, Father. I pray you help all of us here as a church be the kind of church that helps the thumbs or the those that don't feel as connected can find a way and find an avenue in which to be connected to your body. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.